1: Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. As you will have guessed by now, this is not your regular weekly show, but is in fact... Yet another bonus episode, this time we're thrilled to be sitting down with a returning guest, a man who went from wondering if he'd make a match day 23 a few months ago to captaining my beloved Free Jacks for most of the season, Mr. Mitch Jacobson. Mitch, kia ora, and welcome back to the Scrum of the Earth. How the heck are you, my friend?
0: Oh, thanks for having me. No, I'm, I'm really well. Um, yeah, interesting how our times have changed uh, over the short period of time being here, but it's been exciting.
1: Yeah, it's only been like four and a half months, but it seems, I don't know, to me it seems like a long season.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 we've definitely played quite a few games, so we ready to start getting into the business end as we are this uh, coming week, so looking forward to that.
1: For sure. Um, so, you know, just over the last couple of days, we talked a little bit over WhatsApp about the, the grand final down in Super Rugby. Um, an incredible but disappointing result for the Chiefs. You know, what were some of your takeaways from that game? I think you said you were watching it as it happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, there's pretty big expectation on the Chiefs to get that one done. Mm. Uh, and to be fair, I thought they were going to. And then the Crusaders did what the Crusaders do and managed to win. The game up in there in, in Hamilton, which uh, I know the Chiefs boys will be absolutely gutted about, but I suppose it's just the way it is. You know, they've had such a good season, and then to fall at the final hurdle will be disappointing. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, Crusaders is pretty sharp.
1: They uh, they interviewed or kind of interviewed <laughs> Brad Weber at the end of that one. He could he could barely yeah, talk. I, yeah. I thought that that said it all. It was it was big of him to stand up there and you know even have the microphone stuck stuck in his face like that. It was a, a terrible moment for him.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to feel for a guy like um Brad who has been at the Chiefs for so long and obviously this is his last year before going over to France and wanted to take that last little box and um fell short. But yeah, no, nah, we'll be very disappointed.
1: So as a Waikato guy, and as someone who appeared on a Chiefs roster for a couple of games back in 2019, for even for you, this must have been a crusher. How, you know, how are you feeling about the Crusaders getting their seventh consecutive championship? Seems a little ridiculous.
0: <laughs> it is pretty ridiculous when you say it like that. <laughs> but I think first, and, first and foremost, as it was, have always been a fan of the Chiefs, so um, was was backing them to get in there, and uh, yeah, have had uh, a handful of it experiences, um, yeah, and, and, and was obviously backing them. Not a lot of the boys that play on the team, but probably most of them, um, yeah, and it would have been good to see them tip the Crusaders over, you know, have someone different winning at this year, but it wasn't to be. I,
1: I do wonder if it's bad for the competition to have the same team win every single damn year, but who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There's, that's another path to go down around popularity and 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 the amount of people still watching the competition and stuff. But yeah, it can't, can't be too great for it. Uh, seven years in a row is a long time.
1: So was that actually right of me to say, to refer to you as a Waikato guy? Um, uh, uh, online, it, it tells me that you were born in, uh, I might butcher this, but I think it's Te Awamutu on the North Island. Uh, am I right about that?
0: Yeah, so I was born in Te Awamutu, which is 20 minutes, well, it is in the Waikato, sorry. Um, and then I grew up in Cambridge, which is 20 minutes away. I'm from Tianuru. So I think they just had a birth in clinic there and that's where my parents went and then you know, I was born there and then shipped back to Cambridge within a couple of days, you know. So yeah haven't oh. um, been Waikido, born and bred. Um haven't haven't strayed too far from there, but uh, well apart from now, um, being over here in the States, but yeah, definitely grew up there.
1: Well, uh, according to good old Wikipedia, the town is often referred to as the Rose Town of New Zealand because of its elaborate rose gardens in the center of the town. And it, it said that many local businesses use Rose Town in their name and the symbol of the rose is widely used on local signs and billboards. Um, is that something that locals care about or is that more sort of, uh, you know, for marketing and, <laughs> I guess, tourists? Yeah.
0: Um... I, I wouldn't actually know because uh, I grew up in Cambridge. So, well, I, Yeah, I was only born in Tealmoodle, so I was there for a day or two. You know, okay. that's, that's the place place of birth. But then where I've spent all my time as a ch- uh, as a kid growing up till I was 18, was in Cambridge, went to school in Cambridge. Um, that that town's motto is the town of trees and champions. So, um, a little oh. bit different to the Rose Town. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like that. I like that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, of course, you're not the only famous person to have born in Te um, as it was the birthplace of the first Maori king as well. Um, obviously, you've you've said you didn't spend much time after being born there, but you know how important was that Maori culture to your upbringing and to just living on the North Island where you did.
0: Uh, we've got, um, yeah, it was it was it's quite important. It's quite prevalent throughout New Zealand. Um, New Zealand does a pretty good job you know, arguably they can can always do better of incorporating um, Tareo into various, uh, I suppose, news shows and and all that thing. I won't go down that path around whether they're doing enough or or not, but um, it's definitely pretty prevalent throughout New Zealand and there's a lot of Māori rugby players and and they're very skillful rugby players, very good. Um, They add a lot to the New Zealand style of play, probably with their, their skills and their flair, you know, like, Throughout various sports codes um, in New Zealand, there's there's a strong Māori representation. Um, so I suppose, in, in that sense, they've they've shaped it massively. Um, in terms of my family, we we don't actually have any Māori blood in us, but um, mm. certainly, you know, friends and a lot of rugby teammates over the years have been Māori.
1: For sure. Um, last little bit about Super Rugby because we do have things closer to home here to talk about. Um, Scott Robertson, at, after after this final, he has now bookended his career with the Crusaders with yet another trophy. He's preparing to take it to that next level as the new coach for the All Blacks. You know, what did you think about that appointment? It it, it almost seemed like in the last I don't know two years people talk about it like it was inevitable like it was just a matter of when is Scott Robertson going to take that role um, was it inevitable or was the, did this come as a surprise to you at all
0: uh, I a lot of people ask me this and I, I wouldn't really have too much of an of an idea um, around head coaches and, and who's in the running for what but I know like we've just spoken about the crusaders being so dominant you know you, You've got to look at that and then you look at the head coach. He must be doing something right to to get the culture um, and to get the right group of men um, to win a competition seven times in a row. I don't, I don't know if he's lost one um, since being at the Crusaders. So, you know, when you have a record like that, you're going to start knocking on the door of higher honours. And um, I think the NZ public have been a little bit disappointed with how the All Blacks have gone over the past couple of years with a few uh, losses to teams that potentially we haven't lost two in the past. So um, mm. with that comes a, a bit of a change of guard. And I suppose that change has gone to Scott Robinson. D-
1: did you think it was a little odd that they, you know, they made this announcement, but then said, but we're keeping Fozzie in place for the upcoming Rugby World Cup. Like, does Ian Foster have a right to feel a little, a little hard done by by the way this came out?
0: Uh, I wouldn't think so. I think, I mean, the job for the all Blacks head coaches come up for, you know, for a renewal, and I suppose the NZ public want to know who's who's going to be going in there um, after post World Cup. Um, I think if they were to ax Foley and then put Scott Robinson in there before the World Cup, you know, you you'd probably setting Scott Robinson up with a, you know with foundations that maybe he he won't align with. So mm. for him to see out his tenure as All Blacks coaches, seemingly the right thing to do, and I hope. Um, it works out for him, and he can go all
1: the way with the All Blacks. Yeah, uh, it, uh, I actually feel a lot better about it, having you just just said that, that. That kind of makes a lot of sense that I hadn't thought about it in that way. It does seem like the All Blacks somehow are flying under the radar for a lot of people. Nobody's really talking about them. All the talk is Ireland and France. Um, do you think that we are expecting a little less out of them, you know, starting in September, or are they flying under the radar and ready to pounce once again?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I think previous World Cups, New Zealand's been so dominant, we're going into the 2019 World Cup as back-to-back winners, you know, so we're going for a three-peat, so there's always going to be a, a shitload of pressure on the All Blacks and a lot of media around it, but I suppose speaking about um, recent results, they haven't been as dominant as... What they've been in previous uh, World Cup cycles, so that's that's probably gives you the answer there. And and then on the mm. flip side, France, Ireland, um, they've been dominating, and and they're going in with a full head of steam. And I suppose we'll find out after the first game about where what level the All Blacks are at because they run into France on their home home World Cup, uh, which would be that awesome. So I'm sure they're fizzing, fizzing at the opportunity.
1: <laughs> I, I just have a sneaking suspicion people are going to f- feel silly for not talking about the ABs a little bit more leading into this, but we'll see, like you say.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quietly confident that I've got reasonably well to be true.
1: So, swinging us all the way back here to North America and Major League Rugby, like I already said, you and I spoke about four and a half months ago. It's been an incredible season since then. Um, obviously, we're hoping to continue that for a couple more weeks. What are some of your reflections now as, you know, the season's over, we've got a lot of business to take care of starting next weekend, but, you know, it was 16 full games. What are some of your reflections from your first season in Major League Rugby and as a New England Free Freejack?
0: Uh, yeah, probably just, well, it's, it's been a, a very enjoyable time. We've got a good group of lads here, and Boston's been a great city to to be living in, and, well, in and down in here in Dorchester, um, plenty to do, but I suppose just, the amount the weather affects the game styles you know you're mm. starting off the year and you're playing in near snow and it's pretty miserable to be outside and now it's well i don't know what it is in fahrenheit i think it was 86 87 degrees fahrenheit today and it's hot and muggy you know and it just saps the energy out of you so you go from one extreme to the other and, and it does impact the style of game that you that you play we want to play a reasonably expensive game. And when it's wet, wet and cold, you can't really do that. But now they're just starting to warm up. We're starting to play some really good rugby. and I suppose at the start of the year, I was a little bit frustrated with how things were going in terms of that style. And, and the pace of the game was quite slow. And I suppose the officials are, are, see things a little bit differently over here compared to back mm. home. You know, they're happy to slow the game down, look at the TMO and do things like that. Whereas, you know, you sort of want to get on with it a wee bit, but um, yeah, that's been a bit of a learning for me.
1: And what about the different surfaces? Like, um, I, th- I think it was Mike Rogers I was talking to who mentioned what a transition it is for New Zealand players to just get used to having these four G pitches instead of just grass. I hadn't even thought of that. Has, has that been a big, a big adjustment for you?
0: I suppose so. There's a little bit of confidence around just diving in, um, and obviously just the grass burn or the turf burn, sorry, that you get from it, though quietly waiting to get back home to play on a, a regular grass field, you know, it's quite nice to slide around instead of getting burnt knees and, and all the rest of it. But well, it hasn't been too different. I think, you know, referring back to the weather thing, when it is really average and cold, you don't get the bog or the mud as well. So it's, it helps in that respect. But when it's really hot you get the radiation of, of the heat off the ground as well. So it's a little bit of a catch 22, but yeah, it's not too much of an adjustment, but it will be nice to get back on the grass.
1: So, you guys managed a 14 and two record this season you know um, before the season started Phil from the Jacks Rangers and I I, I go on his show and do our, our way too early predictions and I think even our most optimistic we were like well they could go 12 and four and we, we were you know willing to say maybe it ends up being 10 and six 14 and two is incredible how does that jibe with your own expectations before things even kicked off this year? Is that something you in fact talk about with the coaching staff before the season starts, or is it kind of just one game at a time, guys, one game at a time?
0: No, I don't think, I don't think you go into a season trying to predict your win loss record. I think you go week to week about trying to do things as well as you can. And and the result um, will take care of itself. You know, you can, sometimes you can play a really good game and, and get away with a win. And I think sometimes this year we've played a little bit poorly, um, and still managed to win. You know, so maybe maybe that win win loss record reflects a little bit um, more positively than than sometimes how we've played this year. But certainly we've had some games where we've played uh, really well and come away with really strong wins. And yeah, I suppose just it's like looking at stats as well. It only sort of shows one side of things.
1: Mm, interesting. So you, you don't spend time doing that. You don't look and pour through all the box scores and everything after the fact.
0: No, I find uh, I found from a pretty early time in my career that the more if I look too much at certain things, and sort of just overcomplicate it. And I just want to be nice and simplified, going out there and just focus on my role rather than focusing on points differentials and games won mm. and lost. You know, it doesn't really bother me. I, if I'm honest with you, I don't actually watch too much rugby outside of. Our competitions, uh, our our games. So, yeah, just try and keep it as business as business.
1: You know, I'm I've always been one of those stat guys. I would, you know, especially the NBA. I just love pouring through box scores and stuff like that. I theorize that rugby is one of the hardest games to effectively show anything with stats like it just those numbers almost never really tell you the tale of who was the key player in that match like okay you know mitch got a, got two tries this game but you know maybe that was just pure chance or maybe there was six others it just it never looks like those numbers really tell you what you would have just seen if you had watched the match do you, do you think it's possible to you know get any value out of looking at rugby stats or is it you know do you just want the eye test of being there in the moment
0: yeah, I can completely understand what you're saying. And you can go further into it and you look at the tackle side of the game and you say, you know, maybe I made 10 tackles, but eight of those 10 tackles were passive tackles and two of them mm. were neutral, you know, whereas someone might make six tackles and four of those tackles were dominant and two of them were neutral, you know. So who are you going to say is the more quality tackler? It's probably the guy that's dominating, dominating tackles and... Um, you know, it's not the guy making the most tackles and, and just not missing them. So, yeah, I can I can see what you're saying. It is hard to get a little bit of stats, you know, but sometimes it gives you a little bit of – it gives you a bit of an idea around your work rate, you know, and we do a lot of GPS stuff and around explosive meters and, and meters run, um, you know, and therefore you can sort of correlate the two. Are you, are you doing a lot of meters and not having a lot of involvement? It means you're sort of overworking, I suppose, or are you doing – Little meters and having little involvements. This sort of tells a story as well. So there's um things that point towards various stats, but yeah, like you say, you can't you can't just base a game purely on stats like the NBA. You like to talk, it's um, yeah. massively stat orientated.
1: The so I do know how they measure dominant tackles, but explosive meters isn't something I've heard before. What is what is an explosive meter versus a meter?
0: Uh, so it would be, it'd be a meter ran over a certain speed, so it's a sprint or, a, or an acceleration.
1: Okay. I didn't know that you, that, well, of course you look at it that
0: way. Well, interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, unfortunately, I don't get too many of them.
1: well some of the numbers too like early on in the season i was noticing every week you know on twitter people are posting oh here are the top tacklers in the mlr and there was never free jacks on that list and i was like oh yeah because we're scoring all the time and we're not we don't have to make as many tackles as the dallas jackals do and the jackals are always on that list of top tacklers so sometimes the stats almost tell you the opposite of what you're really looking at it's interesting
0: yeah it all just depends how the game goes as well you know if there's a lot of ball and play you tend to get it a lot more tackles and like you say if you're dominating with the ball then you probably only get you know under 10 tackles but if you're defending a lot of the time you can easily wrap up 15 to 20 tackles um as a, as a loose forward so yeah like so
1: so i would like to say that you are officially now a new englander can you you know just tell us a little bit about the reality of living here matched up to what you expected it was going to be like before you actually got here what have been you know a couple of surprises for you living on the south shore of massachusetts
0: uh, I've been pleasantly surprised with the quality of beaches so close to the city, actually. We were just here today with a few of the boys and um, playing a bit of spike ball and playing some basketball down at the hoop and then getting into the water. I know some people say the water at Carson Beach isn't isn't amazing, but it's, it's really good to get in. Um, where I live back home, there's not a beach too close by, so it's a nice change up. Um, I'd say the, probably the main standout for me is, is the crowd at the game. It's just how much they get in behind it and how mm. willing they are to learn the game of rugby. You know, you speak to so many people after the game and they say, oh, this is my first game of rugby or this is my son or daughter's first game of rugby. We don't know it, uh, the rules really, but uh, we love it and we'll be back. You know, uh, I think... Americans and and Bostonians alike are are so willing to reach into their pocket and try something new, which is is quite refreshing. You know, people get there an hour, an hour and a half before the game, having a few beers, having a good time in front of the bands and uh, then come out and really get stuck into it supporting it, which is cool
1: yeah well i mean i'm in those stands every week and you do hear that there's always somebody nearby who's like wait what was that and uh, yeah. the people who do know are so quick to be like oh well and they, they want to explain they want to spread the word um in a way just by virtue of you being here and playing you're part of that motion to sort of spread the love of rugby throughout north america um what do you think is the hardest thing to explain to somebody who's just coming in totally stone cold, who's who's never seen it. The only, you know, the closest thing they've seen is like the NFL or something like that. If you could plant one piece of knowledge in one of those people's heads, like this is what rugby is really about, or this is one of the rules that's hard to understand. What would you like people to understand before they start watching?
0: Yeah, it's a tough question. There's so many rules in the game and I often say it's, <laughs> It's probably not like the easiest game to get your head around, you know? Well, it's definitely not um, you know, if you look at games like soccer or football, um, and you just gotta score a goal and there's the offside rule was the hardest rule, Whereas yep. rugby, you've got the breakdown, you've got scrums, you've got mauls and sometimes I don't even know what's going on when a penalty gets awarded, you know. It's it is reasonably hard, but I suppose if they were to come in and they were to ask what are the main points that you want to get your head around, I would say Obviously, you have to pass the ball backwards. Um, you can only tackle someone with the ball, you know, referencing the NFL thing. And uh, yeah, I suppose just you're not allowed your hands in the ruck at the breakdown, but that's another sort of grey area as well, isn't it? But yeah, you'd almost need someone sitting sitting beside you and sort of walking you through a few a few rules.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I've I've become friendly with Dallin Stanford over time and I'm like, can I just, can I get a seat in the booth next to him and just sit there with him and be like, Dallin, Dallin, what was that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's tough sometimes. And even, yeah, even sometimes I'm looking from the sideline and I, I don't know what's going on.
1: You know, I hear people in the pack who who say that a lot. They're like, you know, no one in a scrum ever knows what the penalty is going to be. You hear the whistle and then you just look up and you just watch for which way the arm is going to go. Is that really true? You know, it seems like that's impossible, but I hear so many people say it. You must have some clue like, okay, that's got to be this.
0: I think the front rowers have a fair idea with what's going on. And, you know, I suppose the really obvious ones are when you're a dominant scrum and you're going forward but some sometimes who's dragging who down and who's standing up and who's wheeling you know that can be just down to the referee and his take on it so that can be a bit of a tough one sometimes
1: so similar question to the one I just had um for major league rugby itself how has the reality of playing in this competition you know matched up to your expectations before you arrived here
0: yeah, it's it's probably met. It's probably met the expectations that I was expecting it to be um when I came over here. It's cool. I think the cool thing about it is just the different styles of rugby that everyone plays. Back in New Zealand, everyone plays a pretty similar expensive game. Whereas here, you know, you've got teams that like to slow it down and do the box kicking and a lot of mauling and sort of the different style of game, which I would say I don't like I don't enjoy playing that much, but I do enjoy the different style around how. Rugby can be played in, in various ways, so um that's been that's been cool coming over here and and doing all that.
1: Do you think a lot of that has to do with like the the sort of the coaching staffs and some of these teams? Like like Dallas got a huge injection from Argentina in this past offseason. Do you think that has a big influence over team culture and team style?
0: Oh, it's got it. You know, like if we've got a Kiwi coach here and he's he's got a lot of Kiwis over here, funnily enough. And then you look at the Houston side, and they've got a South African head coach or coaches, and they've got a lot of South African boys. And like you say, they're the same with the Dallas and Argentinians. So, yeah, it's, it's going to have an influence, and guys aren't going to, wait, going to go away from the style that they know and uh, that they think works best. So it's just interesting to see how various styles sort of combat each other.
1: It makes it a fun league to watch, for sure, because you, you do see a lot of difference. Um, early on in this season – it was a tough thing to see it, from from the stands. Josh Larson going down, obviously, in a lot of pain. When that happened, did you have any sense that you would be asked to step into that captain's role?
0: Yeah, it was really unfortunate for, and, sorry, unfortunate for Lars Um get caught up in the line out there and then come down the big rig, hit the ground, and busted his shoulder. So, I mean, that's you know, just something that happens in rugby, and unfortunately it's a serious injury that you're going to keep him out for the whole season, but... Uh, I'd sort of spoken to Mike about being in a leadership role so I wouldn't say I expected to go into captain, not not at all but um, to be sort of in around that leadership space I came over here expecting that and then yeah I was a little bit, I wouldn't say tentative around getting into the captaincy role but I was a little bit unsure about how the boys would take it um, obviously this being my first year here and mm. I've got a little bit of a different style to Lars um, it's probably a bit of a nicer guy than I <laughs> when it comes to communicating <laughs> with guys and trying to get um, ideas across. So yeah, probably a little bit different for boys as well, but um, yeah, it's been good. We've got a good group and the lads, you know, buy in.
1: Well, from, you know, fans perspective, it looked like a really natural transition. It looked like you just kind of stepped in and it, it looked like everybody was on board immediately. But something I don't know is how much experience did you have captaining a team before this opportunity came along here?
0: Uh, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I've, I've been captain of a number of teams over the years. So um, to come in and sort of captain here hasn't been too much of a of a lane change. Um, I suppose every, every rugby team is the same in, ter- in terms of they want to win, you know, and it's just about uh, trying to match the style of the group to the style of play and the culture and all that and sort of match all those things into one and try and get the best outcome as... Is what we can and i think we've gone a long way to doing that and you know working alongside tk and the coaches and the leadership group uh, and sort of getting input from the boys throughout the year you know to try and make it in as, as much of a good environment as possible i think we're sort of going going in the right direction
1: so a cou- a couple of questions that are basically two sides of the same coin what do you consider some of your biggest individual successes this year and then what have been some of your biggest challenges playing for the Free Jacks?
0: Biggest successes. Um, uh, I enjoyed when we went up to Toronto and put 80 points on them. That was good. Um,
1: <laughs> it was fun to afternoon. watch. Too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Never heard a home crowd so quiet and then just looking across them at the Toronto boys, you know, they defeated after about 30 minutes, you look at the school board, well, we got 40 points on them already. So, uh, that was, that was quite nice. Um, Watching the boys play against uh, New Orleans and Seattle, actually, was really pleasing. I wasn't involved in the New Orleans game, and I had a only a 10, 15-minute cameo against Seattle, and the boys just went to work, you know, and it was awesome to see. It was a young crew, well, not a young crew, but it was a crew that probably hadn't played as much rugby as what they would have hmm. liked to over the year, and they thought they all really grabbed their opportunity and went uh, and got stuck into them. and. Um, Beating Seattle up there, you know, I think they've only lost sort of three or four times uh, over their history at home. So for us to go up there and, and do it quite convincingly was really pleasing. Um, the challenges of just it's quite a long season, you know. Like you're saying, it's our sixteenth game. We've had a week off this week, and we've had two bye weeks. So it ends up being quite a long season, and a lot of guys away from home. And
1: mm.
0: it's quite different being in the city compared to maybe back in New Zealand or back in. Um, Argentina, where one of the boys is from, or who knows where, you know? So just trying to keep everyone engaged and and sort of, I guess, positive about going towards this goal, even even if some of us aren't playing in the team from week to week.
1: So just before, you know, moments before we sat down to start talking, the Eastern Conference Eliminator game wrapped up, and now we know you'll be facing DC next Saturday. So for the past week or so, how have you been you know, preparing for a game when you don't know who you're going to be facing? Um, are you able to just kind of coach, you know, concentrate on, like, well, here are the things that we can control that it doesn't matter who we're playing. Here are the things that we need to get right. Or does it feel like there's a piece missing when you just don't know who you're going to be facing?
0: Uh, well, I think you, you go into any game and you're not going to ch- completely change the, the style of gameplay that you're going to have from week to week. You might take mm. uh, make a few little adjustments here and there just a really, just uh, in the way they defend around certain parts of the field and, and, and the way that they attack. But um, we just we just had two big days of training this week, uh, really got stuck into a bit of contact on the Friday, which was nice, you know, a little bit of kill zone stuff in the 22. But, yeah, we, we didn't change too much. We sort of outlined a few line outs that we'd be looking at doing. Uh, and then, yeah, just same, same as always, I suppose, just – a little bit of stuff around our skills and that. So, no, it hasn't been too much of a change in my nine hour position.
1: So, what's next for this week then? If, if you could, you know, put on the coach's hat for just a minute, like, what do you think you'd be telling the team starting tomorrow? What what unique qualities are DC going to bring that you, like you say, you have to make sort of small adjustments? What kind of adjustments do you think you're going to be sort of tweaking this week?
0: Uh, well, I think they've got a pretty good quality scrum. Um, and line up more. So that'll be a big emphasis on us if we can stop them at the source there. Um, Reasonably physical forward pack. uh, But, yeah, I mean, we've played them a couple of times now, so the boys have a pretty good idea of of what we're going to face. Um, It's going to be nice and hot, I'm sure, in Quincy, so it's going to be a bit of a factor around a bit of ball and play time and trying to just outwork them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Geez, without giving too much away, we won't be. there won't be any magic potion. It'll just be doing what we've been doing all year, but just doing it to a high standard.
1: Is it? Some people like to say, "Oh, well, it's it's helpful to have lost to a team, so that you have more, you know, adjustments you can make." Is there any truth to that, or do you want to be dominating a team every every single time?
0: Um, I think. People might say like you learn more from a loss than a than a win, but yeah, uh, I mean we've 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 had a couple of losses and we've had a couple of games that I spoke about earlier that we haven't played that well, but still managed to get a win out of. But you know you still almost review them like a loss because you haven't played to the standard that you wanted to play to. Um, But yeah, I, I would say going into this weekend we've got, we'll have a decent amount of confidence, but I don't think we'll be overconfident. You know, both times we've played against DC, they've, um, they've pushed us. So you know, we'll have to turn up and play pretty good footy to beat them.
1: Well, you've once again, presaged my very next question. I was going to say, I feel like you're somebody who always has your confidence level just right. Your mental state, you, you seem pretty even keel. I never see you get rattled out there. What do you do as an individual to, you know, Make sure your confidence and your mental state are where there need to be, you know, before a big game like this coming Saturday. And then in your role as a captain, how do you make sure other players are right there with you?
0: Uh, yeah, I suppose you just gotta like you don't focus on the end result and you just gotta try and focus on on things as you go. Um, you can't get too rattled about you know, it's easier said than done. You know, if you make a mistake or miss a tackle that leads to a trial or something like that, you can easily get down. But I think you just got to roll with it. You know, these big games, there's going to be certain moments that are going to go your way and then certain moments that aren't. You just, the ones that don't go your way, you just got to try and hang in there. You know, like if you're under a bit of pressure, back-to-back penalties and stuff like that, the boys, I think this year, have done a really good job of just, just hanging in there, hanging in there, waiting waiting to get the rub of the green and, and then being able to get, down the other end of the field and then apply pressure that way but um in terms of the other boys i think you can sort of sense it sometimes and you can see it on the field with how how they're going about their business and if like i said around how Lars is a little bit nicer than me i'm reasonably direct if i see one of the boys that you know is is maybe chirking a bit of load or, or um not being as physical as, as what we'd like. We'd probably have a little bit of a word and or, or maybe just talk to him about, you know, trying to be a little bit better in certain areas. But I wouldn't try and talk to someone too much, to be fair, during the game.
1: So how excited are you to be back at Fort Quincy on Saturday for what's going to be another record crowd and all the incredible things that we're going to see as this Eastern Conference final looms? You've been in bigger games than this one. Yeah. Um, so, but where are you at mentally and I guess emotionally heading into this coming weekend?
0: Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, can't wait um, to get out there and play with the lads in front of a good good crowd. And yeah, I mean, like you say, it's it's going to be a big game, but I think uh, we're in a good spot to give it a good craft. and being at home, you know, where else would you rather be?
1: Well, I think we fans tend to take a lot of, pride in how loud obnoxious we tend to be during these matches we feel like it's (laughs) it's all working in the right direction
0: yeah no it's good stuff no it's it's noted
1: mitch my friend thank you so much for again taking the time to come back and join us here on the scrum of the earth it's just really kind of you to be so generous with your time i wish you of course all the best for saturday you know i'll be there screaming my full head off as always any, you know, final thoughts or reflections you can give your fans, things to look forward to for this coming weekend?
0: Yeah, no, thanks for having, a, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, oh, well, I just hope that, you know, everyone turns up, comes out to watch the, the Free Jacks and that we can put on a good show for you guys. I know you spend a lot of money to be there on the sidelines and watching us, and we appreciate it.
1: Oh, I do, one very last thing. I don't know how I don't know this yet. Are you headed back to the NPC after this season ends here?
0: Uh, yeah, we we'll go back to Waikato and, and play for them there. Yeah.
1: It's already lined up. Your your You got your, t- your ticket.
0: Okay. Got the ticket. Yeah, yeah. being uh, given a nerd, which is nice.
1: I love the NPC. And last year, they did so much with double headers with the FPC and then the NPC matches, having them right back to back. That was so great. I wish there was an equivalent we could have here in the United States to do something like that. You know, it would be great if there was a women's league that you, you could have – one match and then the free jacks match it would just it's such a great atmosphere in new zealand when they do that
0: yeah it's a a good initiative that they've they've taken there i suppose in terms of the rugby here and and trying to get towards that goal you know it's got to take a bit of time um you know you've only only just got the mlr within the last couple of years and i suppose women's rugby as well you know just constantly developing that hopefully it can happen sometime in the near future
1: That'll be great. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you play in the MPC again. It's a, it's a great competition. I just love it. Mitch, my friend, thank you again. You've been fantastic as always. Thank you for all the incredible work you've done for us this year. As As a fan, I, I wanted to tell you it's been a joy to watch you get out there and do all that work every single week. You've been remarkable.
0: Oh, thank you very much. appreciate that. And hopefully I've uh, got two more games to put my best foot forward.
1: Heck yeah, I will be there, my friend. Mitch Jacobson, Freejack extraordinaire, cheers, talk to you soon, and be well, my friend.
0: Cool. Thank you for that. Cheers.